This podcast is published as part of MDA National's suite of digital media resources on things doctors wish they had known about specific medical specialty areas. Doctors for Doctors since 1925, MDA National is a member-owned mutual that exists to support and protect its members and promote good medical practice across Australia. Hello, it's Norman Swan here. Welcome to another podcast where doctors in training share their experiences, tell us what drives them, why they enjoy what they do and what advice they might offer to junior doctors contemplating their career choices and preparing for their training schemes. You'll hear how they are often very conscious of the ethical and legal complexities of being a practising doctor and how they deal with them. David Ransley is training in intensive care in Tasmania. I asked him how he got into it. It happened a little bit by accident. I initially wanted to do orthopaedics and I still have that as something of a backup plan, but I had seen that there were so many orthopaedic trainees and surgical trainees in general that didn't have any medical experience. And so my idea was to do a year or so of intensive care to try and broaden my horizons a bit and become a bit more competent uh, in general things before specialising in a surgical specialty. As it happened, ended up enjoying it a lot more than I thought I would. And so I've, I've stuck with it since then. What is it you enjoy? Well, a number of things. The hours, they fit my life very well, or maybe maybe my life fit the hours really well. And Does that so mean you don't have a life? life? Well, yes and no. I, I have a life 50% of the time, work week on week off. So I either be working 100% of the time and have no life or have a full life with basically no job for a week which turned out that I actually enjoyed that a lot. I found that I was more refreshed after having a week off than with just having five days in a weekend. But there's the minor detail of what you actually have to do when you're at work. Yeah, there is. You are very busy and you're, you're physically tied to the department. In that sense, it's, it's different to almost any other specialty in medicine. I suppose anaesthetics and emergency are like that. But when you're at work, you're working completely. And then when you're not at work, you're off. Um, you're not worrying about patients. At least at my level, you don't really do on call. And so when you're not at work, you're not thinking about work. And what about the actual work, though? There, I find there's often strained relationships and descriptions of things in medicine being related to aviation, but intensive care has a similar sort of setup in that you'll have hours of attention to detail and monitoring and crossing the I's, dotting the T's, but then moments of madness where your skills and ability to make rapid judgments become the, the primary aim there. Hours of boredom and moments of excitement is kind of addictive. Is there anything you wish you'd known before you started? It would have been nice to know a little bit more about what shift work's like. Um, I've found that working nights, you learn more about your body and you learn how you adapt to nights. Um, And the physiological changes of doing nights, they're completely learned. I don't think anyone naturally is good at doing night shift, but after doing them long enough, you you get better at it. And so I think being taught how to do night shift properly probably would have been something that I would have benefited from earlier in my career the process of getting used to working on nights. So how do you do that? I see night shifts are different to almost the other night shifts in medicine in that you do 12-hour night shifts, 13-hour nights with an hour of handover. So usually in medicine it's broken up into eight-hour shifts, but to try and minimise handover, we do longer shifts. So I find that by getting into the rhythm of nights, I go home, I have a very strict rhythm of things that I do when I get home. I do everything in the same order every day. And then when I wake up, after a sleep, after a night shift, I'll then do do things the same way each time to try and minimise the amount of thought that I'm needing to put into basically all the, all the stuff other than work. That helps me to adapt quicker to nights because my body knows what I'm trying to do. I'm, I'm used to that feeling of coming home after a night shift and then waking up in the evening. So did somebody teach you that or did you learn it for yourself? Mostly learned that for myself. 
and it seems most people do something similar to that. But it would have been, you know, I think, quite helpful to know that earlier on. Do you often get scared at work? Not so much anymore. There are a few things that scare me. Tracheostomies are still, basically because of a, a number of times where I, th- I think anyone who works in ICU long enough will see a major incident happen with a patient with a tracheostomy from it becoming dislodged or on wards if they become blocked. They, they're major issues. It very rapidly spirals into often some very challenging situations. That's probably the only thing that scares me now in ICU. And at the beginning? Oh, look, everything scared me in the beginning. You know, even starting each shift, I was had a, had a degree of anxiety with starting it. And, you know, the more sick patients there were in the department, the worse that anxiety was. But that did settle with time. And I think with knowing, not so much knowing how to deal with things, but really knowing what can go wrong and knowing how quickly it can go wrong. And one of the things I've learned is that generally people don't get sick suddenly. There are some rare times where that happens, um, you know, where people have malignant arrhythmias, for example. But for the most part, there's a, a long prodrome when people get sick. And learning to recognise that prodrome, I think, is the point of most of ICU training. Uh, and so with time, you, you, know, you, you might have 15 minutes of warning when you recognise that someone is deteriorating. Whereas when you're first starting out, you might only really have a minute or so, if any, because you just aren't used to recognising the signs. Knowing what you know now, what are the tips for the unwary? I think one point that I'd make is that people don't get suddenly sick. And so recognising that prodrome is very important. Another thing that I, which is more of a general thing for any doctor than necessarily ICU doctors, is that I always say beware the patient, the sick patient with new GI symptoms. And so someone who suddenly needs to go to the toilet or is suddenly feeling nauseated in, in the context of a more general unwellness, that, that to me is a really bad sign. But what about these interpersonal skills, what they call the non-technical skills? Those are all technical things, issues that occur within the team between doctors. I think trying to have firstly closed-loop communication. And so when someone gives you an instruction, repeating that instruction back to them to make sure that you've understood what they want to say. Secondly, having an an understanding of what it is that are going to be the likely issues across the shift. Um, Because handover is usually where communication problems happen in ICU. And so I I think understanding in really black and white terms what the plan is for a patient prevents that misunderstanding. And so if you're uncertain about things, then really nailing down and clarifying what what the plan's going to be and what the plan will be when things change, because a lot of the change is predictable. What's the most difficult situation or most memorable situation you've ever had to deal with? I once had a a situation basically where I and and one of the consultants were resuscitating a patient and the consultant asked me to give a, a dose of medication that to me seemed vastly in excess of what would be appropriate for that patient. And I was, I was still very junior. This is within my first month of working. And I, I wasn't certain enough of myself to sort of say, I think that's an inappropriate order. I think that's too much. So I did as I was told and I, I gave the, the dose of this medication. There were some pretty there were bad consequences as a result of it. It all happened that in the end, the patient was fine and there was no major problems as a result of it. But it was an awkward situation that in retrospect, I don't think I would make that same mistake again. And were you able to debrief afterwards? Not directly with that particular consultant, but in, in more general terms, yeah, I, I spoke to my medical defence insurer and had fairly long discussions about the sequence of events, basically who said what to whom, and the process of you know what, what the instruction was, what I thought about that and what I did with that. Um, and I, I found that process really useful to sort of talk to someone who wasn't involved at all. So what made you think of phoning the medical defence organisation after that incident? I think the recognition that it was a critical incident a patient returned to theatre after a, basically an unplanned return to theatre that was 
I think directly as a result of the medication. And so as a medical student and as a junior doctor, you know, you're taught that when something major happens, a critical incident, in addition to open disclosure to the patient and their family, you also should get in touch with whoever's providing your defence. So you're going to stick that out with ICU, do you think? At this stage, if I had to choose right now, yeah, I, I probably would. I wouldn't be surprised if I changed my mind, but I'm not anticipating doing that right at the moment. I think I've still got a lot more to learn there and certainly all the, all the indications at the moment, I think I, I would be. So would you recommend it as a specialty to others? Oh, look, I, I think for a few reasons I probably would. I think the first thing for me about intensive care is that the skills and knowledge that come with intensive care are sort of the, the things that society, I think, expect of doctors. And so to me, the feeling of the role of a doctor and the identity as a doctor is, is important. And I, I think that ICU teaches you things that society expect doctors to have, like the ability to deal with crises, patients who are very sick, the ability also to recognise patients that are sick, as well as many of the skills that come with ICU in terms of airway management, arrest, resuscitation, dealing with difficult patients in the sense of psychosis and delirium, as well as communication about you know some really big topics like end-of-life care, withdrawal of care, organ donation, things that in, in any other specialty you don't get such a concentration of those things. I also think it teaches you a lot of because we have a concentration of very sick patients across all medical specialties within the ICU, you get to see a lot of pathology. And so you'll see the worst of everything. I like the procedural aspects to it, which I think are a, it's a pretty common thing that people like in whatever specialty they choose. Procedural things seem to be important. And I, I like that as a consultant or a boss, you seem to work like a registrar for the most part. You're dealing with a lot of times things that seem minor, but within the context of someone who's really unwell are actually major things. You're managing electrolytes and fluid balance, cardiovascular system, you're managing each of the organ systems, which really is it's a very basic job, but it's also a very complicated job. David Ransley is training in intensive care in Tasmania and at the time of interview was chief resident at the Royal Hobart Hospital. I'm Norman Swan. Do join me for the other podcasts in this series aimed at junior doctors. Here to support you, visit MDA National's website at mdanational.com.au or call 1-800-011-255 for tailored advice specific to your medico-legal situation, career stage or policy. This podcast has been produced by MDA National to support our doctor members. The information provided is based on the personal experiences of the doctor speaker and does not constitute medico-legal advice from or by MDA National.